0: The following message is from Kings Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at KingsCrossManchester.com. First Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body—Jews or Greeks, slaves or free—and all were made to drink of one Spirit. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would be the body? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor." and our, our and our unrepresented uprepresented parts are treated with greater modesty which our our more presentable parts do not require but God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there be, may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another if one member suffers we all suffer together and if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Okay, let's pray. Father, as we look at this together, I pray as we are working through this body imagery and what does it mean for the church to honor the body of Christ, I pray that you would give us your spirit that you've just promised in this passage that we may be, Lord, baptized in one spirit, desiring to be in one body in Jesus and live lives that work hard to honor your body. And so, Father, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see as we work through this passage together, for the glory of Jesus' name, amen. Okay, one question that comes to me out of this passage is, what does it mean to be a part of an organization? What does it mean to join something? What does it mean to be a part of a organization, a family where you have buy-in, right? So kind of like bigger to bigger to lesser, like to be an American, what does it mean to be an American? Like, well, obviously there's like, you know, you're born uh, to American parents and you're given American citizenship or you uh, go through a naturalization process and you become a citizen. I don't know if you've ever had a friend who's done that, but they have to take this ridiculous test. That, frankly, I'm not sure that most native born Americans could actually pass. You have to answer all these questions about the Constitution, and history, and all that stuff. So you, you, you work through that, but then you have right now within our political climate, right, this whole like, who's a true American? Well, the Democrats aren't true Americans because they hold to the, 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 the. Well, Republicans aren't true Americans because they hold to this or that. You see, there's this kind of like, you have the objective reality. But then there's a cultural reality do you meet the cultural marks of what it means to be a part of the group? same with a family right right uh, you're born into a family you're adopted into a family like officially or unofficially right <laughs> but then there's like there's always like that one person that's kind of like the odd person out are they like really a part of the family like well you know, you know they they write with their left hand and we only have like right handed people in our family you know like that sort of thing so that is kind of like these objective things but then how do you what does it mean to be a part of a group? What does it mean to be a part of a family? What does this passage ask us to this question, what does it mean to be a part of the church? Not just any church, but a local church, this church in particular, or your church where you're a member, what does it mean to be a part of that church, right? How do we get in, so to speak? Well, this, is, this whole passage is about kind of like this objective reality and this cultural reality, because sometimes our cultural, the ways in which we play out, what does it mean to be in the church, undermine the objective realities of what it means to be a part of a church, right? So if you're visiting a church and you're kind of like, do I want to be a part of this church? You might look at the website and say, oh, well, I agree with the, their doctrinal statements. But when you come in the door, you might pick up on the cultural dynamics of who's in charge, who actually makes the decisions. You said this one thing on the website, but here's how this actually plays out. The church in Corinth had the same dynamic. They believed all the right things. They believed. All the things the Bible teaches, but the culture had begun to twist those things so that they were very unhealthy, and there was a toxic church because they had forgotten the objective reality of how they were func- how were they supposed to live and function as a church. So here's about before we get into like talking about what's the main point of this passage, I want to do like a preacher no no and like give you like one of the punchlines of this passage, and then we'll kind of have this in mind as we work through it. One of the cultural punchlines of this whole passage is, because we read this and we're kind of like, oh, right, like a body, right? You've got like the Michelangelo thing, you know, where you've got like this and like that's your, that's the body image. The Corinth obviously did not have Michelangelo or Leonardo, that's the right guy. Um, <laughs> thinking of Ninja Turtles. Uh, <laughs> they didn't have the right, they didn't have him. When they thought of the body, they had within their history, about three or 400 years in their past they had this dynamic of a temple where they had a lot of healing stuff going on. And so it was a sanctuary of, I'm going to try to get this word right, Esclepion. It's a healing center. center of The sanctuary of Esclepion. We'll just call it the center of A, right? The healing center. It was about, there were about 300 of these in the ancient world. Um, and what, the way they would function is if you had like a malady in your body, like you had a, a hand or a foot or a hand, whatever, you would go to these healing centers and this will not sound like anything that we have today, right? They had spas. They had fitness you know, regimens they would, they would give you. Um, they had uh, therapy art. <laughs> they had exercise treatments. They had ointments that they would give you. That sounds like something that you would find a website for today. It doesn't sound like anything different than what we have. There's nothing new. But one of the dynamics they had is that they, if you had like a broken hand or a, 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 a with your foot or something like that, whatever body part was broken, and you wanted healing, you would get like a terracotta clay production of it, and then you would take it into the temple either as an appeal to the gods for healing of that specific bo- part or as a thank you. Hey, thanks for filling for your promise, God, healing this part of my body. So we could put, you got a few pictures of these, right? So here's a hand from the sites in Corinth, right? Somebody with a broken hand. If you pay attention, you see they got that little like mark right there between the knuckles, there was some sort of like, you know, maybe they had a wart or something like that, like they had something going on there, right? we got some more things here. Look, somebody's toes, they had something going on with their toes where they were appealing for um, healing in their foot. And you'll notice there at the top of it, just like, yeah, sorry, top of it, there's these little holes. We can go to the next one. Same thing with the next one where you've got these ropes. so in the sanctuary, they would take these things and then they would, like, hang them up on the walls or in the rafters, basically, of the temple as, like, either appeals or thank you. So last one here. Uh, so you got all these different ones. Different, yeah, somebody's, like, whole leg, right? Just, like, look, just the whole thing, you know, or whatever. All right, we can take it down because that's going to be distracting. But you got all these things, right? So when you read this passage, that is in the background, right? That dynamic of how do I get God to do what I need. Well, I present my part of the body <laughs> that I need fixed. So when we read this passage, this is not just merely like there's a body image where we all kind of work together. There is a cultural background in their minds of, oh, church is actually about me, and I just come here <laughs> to get fixed what I need. And so you got these spiritual gift stuff? Well, good, because I feel really like low and crummy, and if I get these spiritual <laughs> gifts and start prophesying over people, now I'm important. So you see how this background begins to kind of play into how we understand this passage. So, when we talk about this passage being about understanding what does it mean to be in the church, the fundamental point of this passage, let me just throw this in there. The fundamental main point of this passage is God, because God builds a church, we must work hard to honor one another in Christ. That's the main point of this passage. You're trying to follow along. Because God builds a church we must work hard to honor one another in Christ. Because you'll notice there, right, the whole thing ends, verse 26, if one member is honored, all rejoice together, right? That's the, that's the punchline of where we're going. We are wanting to be honoring the body of Christ. And as we work through this passage, we'll be working through how they in Corinth were dishonoring the body of Christ and therefore kind of totally like creating this toxic environment. And we want to be asking the same question. If we want to be a healthy church, If we want to be a church that honors the body of Christ for who He is, then we want to be working hard towards understanding not only the objective way in which we get in the church, but how that fills out all these other things, okay? So how does God building His church, how does that help us honor one another in Christ? So here's kind of three objective realities about what the church is. We're going to pick up here at verse 12 and 13. God builds a church with one body. This might seem obvious, but we're just going to start out with the obvious here. God builds a church with one body, verses 12 and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, right? Right? Before we move on, I just want to draw your attention here, verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, when we read that, we kind of think of like um, like Voltron or something like that, like Lego pieces, like you build up a Lego piece and there's different parts of it and you remove a piece, well, it's still the Lego piece, right? Like there's no like, uh, nothing's broken when you remove a piece of the Lego thing unless you're three years old and then your, your heart is shattered, right? <laughs> but we think about it, we see members, and we kind of think of it as a little bit like a sterile term, like something like, I could remove a bolt from this you know, podium, and it's still a podium. But when it's using the word members here, it's actually more of a visceral, like, limbs and organs picture, right? So imagine a healthy, living human body, and you remove the liver. <laughs> Not going to be a healthy, living body for much longer, is it? you got about, like, 30 minutes, and then you're dead, <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I'm not a medical professional, so don't take my word for it. But you get the idea, right? If it's a healthy living body, you cut off the arm. <laughs> Think thinking of all these random references. You know, Monty Python, like it's only a flesh wound, right? No, it's not only a flesh wound. You're about to die, right? So when Paul says, for just as the body is one and has many members, right, he's saying, as you've got many organs and limbs, but you require all of them to be a living, healthy body, that's the picture of what he says the local church is supposed to be, right? Which means, as he's going to develop later, there's a lot of diversity. But let not go there quite yet. For in the one Spirit, verse 13, we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all are made to drink of the one Spirit. The church is brought together by the Holy, the Holy Spirit's job is to bring together the people that Jesus loves and who love Jesus into one body. That's his job, right? We talked about last week and the week before about how the Holy Spirit is a very kind of like, he's kind of like the hidden person of the Trinity because his job is to spotlight on Jesus and you don't ever see the person who's directing the spotlight, but you know he's there, right? So the Holy Spirit is drawing us into Jesus, but the very fact that we see Jesus and want him means that we are a part of him and brought into a body together, and I think that just one of the things that Paul does here, right out of the gate, for he says, "For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body." And then he has like, if you're in your in in, in my Bible, it's a dash Jews or Greeks, slaves or free dash right. It's kind of like a, bl- a blanket phrase. I think because Paul's looking at Corinth and he's saying like, "But you've all got your prejudices of who you think Jesus should like more, <laughs> right?" <laughs> because they're thinking, you know what? We're, uh, we're a certain type of uh, Corinth Christians, and of course, if Jesus saved me, he's going to want to save all my buddies, just like me, and that's what the church should be like. This seems to be a rampant part of the New Testament church, and frankly, it's still a part of the church today. We all think that Jesus should like the people that we like more than he likes the, than he would like the people we don't like, you know? So you've got a couple other places in the Bible where this gets mentioned, New Testament. We've got um, Galatians three twenty five to twenty eight. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. He's talking about the Jewish um, uh, Old Testament Christians. For in Christ, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Or Colossians three eleven. For there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all, and all in uh, Christ is all, and all. Christ is all, and in all. Sorry, it's a bit of a tongue twister. I think the the point that Paul is getting to emphasize in terms of the objective realities is that, frankly, uh, the predominant culture always wants to determine who's in and who's out. And racism and prejudice always go deep in the bloodline of humanity. And at the, at the gate, he's saying, that does not matter to God. The entry point into Jesus is faith alone, which means people with brown skin, people with white skin, people who have high IQs, people with low IQs, people without addiction, people with addiction, people with queer sexual dynamics, people with dubious sexual dynamics, all those people they all can profess faith in Jesus and are brought into one body, right? And if, while we could dwell on that and dwell on the diversity of dynamics, um, I think that that's, um, that cultural dynamic is some of the dynamics going on within uh, evangelicalism within America today because we're talking a lot about, you know, um, we have multiple, multiple brothers and sisters from the African-American community making very clear and pointed comments about white culture within the American church and largely in my assessment, I'm not going to delve into this, is that they are pointing out ways in which assumed predominant culture is not in aligned with Christ's culture. And so what Paul is doing here is he is drawing our attention in to say, the presumed predominant culture of your day cannot dictate how you understand what it means to be in the church, right? And the emphasis isn't really on diversity because you'll notice here, let me read this for you and pay attention to one word as we read through this paragraph again. Look for the word one, because it's mentioned five times. For just as the, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Right? Multiple references to the word one. There is a one dynamic here. And the focus, just to kind of put this, I know this is uh, English translation in the Greek, the, uh, Christ is the center point, right? He's like the, the main na- noun in the whole paragraph. He's the one that gets all the attention. It's all one in him, not one in the Corinthian culture, not one in Manchester, New Hampshire's predominant culture. It is pri- primarily Christ's body, his culture. And the way in which you get into being in Christ, we're going to touch on this and then we're going to move on. Is through the one spirit, and how does the spirit draw you into Christ? Through faith. See, rather than uh, getting all hung up on how did you come to Christ, was your story good enough, right? Was it extreme enough? Were you in the gutter that many times? Or maybe you feel like your story in terms of credit, coming to Christ is very mundane. I grew up in the church, I professed faith, I got baptized when I was 13, and now I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter. The entry point into becoming part of the one body of the church that that God builds is professing faith in Jesus. The crux of everybody's story, no matter who you are, whatever your background is, whatever your story to coming to Christ is, the Spirit baptized you with faith. You saw your desperate need for a Savior and you trusted in Christ. Those are, so to speak, everybody's common vertebrae and the backbone of their spirituality. It doesn't matter what your story was. That's how we come into, the, into, into Christ and it is a level playing field, so to speak, which begins to demolish the predominant cultures around us. So if you wonder, is your story good enough to be here? The answer is yes, because nobody's story is good enough. <laughs> it's just your story of how you came to Christ. That's how God begins to build the church, not through that you have powerful friends who got you into the church and then got you the right seats and then you got to know the pastor and then there you, well, none of that stuff. The beginning point of coming into the church is being in the one body by faith. So we're going to pick up here in verse 14, and now here's where things get a little bit fun, right? For the one body, sorry, we're going to be seeing that God builds a church with many members, right? We just talked about his one body. Now we're going to be talking about the many members, verse 14 to 20. For the one body does not consider one member but of many. The foot does not say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. What would it, uh, make it any less part of the body? And if the ear should say, "Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body," that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, there would be a se- where would be the sense of healing, hearing? Sorry. If the whole body were an ear. <laughs> where would be the sense of... Sorry, I have to pause. Like, it's just kind of like, you almost kind of get the Paul actually has a sense of humor. Like, you know? Like, it's just a bit ridiculous. Could you imagine just like a gigantic nose and that's the body? Like, I, I know there's like cartoons. Like, I remember growing up and they're like, there's a nose and it's just got little spindly legs. Like, that's the church. Everybody's just a nose. Like, they're just sniffing out errors all over the place or like sniffing out doctrinal problems. Like, they're just, you know, it's a gigantic... It, the... the The illustration to try to explain this is in the text, like it's just ridiculous, right? (laughs) So I I think for them, what was going on is that the people who were most predominant within the church, so people with massive spiritual gifts, right? They had prophetic words that they shared and people were, you know, lives were changed or pastors who spoke from the front all the time and had the microphone and their podcast recorded and put up on the website. Those people were were getting the uh, primary attention, and the people who weren't doing those things, people who were serving in nursery, people who were setting, setting up and tearing down, people who were setting up hospitality, people who were running slides, people who were doing all these other things that aren't very up front, were kind of getting pushed aside and said, you guys kind of keep doing that, but we're going to do the real church up here. I think that's kind of what was going on. Like that's, and that feels very familiar, doesn't it? Right? I can't tell you how many guys, I remember when I was in college where they were like, you know what, When I, I, I want to go plant a church. Why do you want to plant a church? Because there's a sense of like, you plant a church, you become a pastor. Like that's like the pinnacle, like of being a Christian. Like that's the best. I'll tell you, having done it, you know, I could do anything else. <laughs> there's other things I'd, I'd like to do, um, but that was the sense of like, this is what these are the real Christians, and the rest of you just kind of do the housework, so to speak. You know. The critical point here comes in verse 18, and I think this is the main, this verse, I think, is the main verse of the entire chapter, and is one of the more critical verses in the whole book. Verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. Maybe you just kind of read over there, you're just kind of like, okay, makes sense, next verse. But, but, Pay attention to what's going on here. Who's the one building? It is God himself. So each person here, if you are the church of Corinth, what it is saying is that God picked up Peter and Jen and everybody else, and he put you in your seats, and he put you as a part of the life of the church because he arranged each person here to be a specific local church together because he likes it this way. Like, this is the church that God wants to build, right? He is the one who's seeing, and he loves who he sees. He's not only saved you in Jesus, but now he's like, now we're going to become a thing in Jesus that's a spiritual organism, and I'm going to arrange it, almost kind of like Im- imitating Genesis 2 language, where he builds the man and woman. He is arranging. You get it repeated here, verse 24 of the chapter, which are more presentable parts required, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. But the the, important and critical part of that is God has so composed, he has brought together, he has designed and thought through and thought, you know what, when it comes to building King's Cross Church or whatever church you're a part of, I want these people in it. That begins to change the dynamics of how we think about what does it mean to be a part of a church, right? It does not simply mean that um, show up, hey, I like these people, they dress like me. Uh, they got the same political views as me. Um, whatever the, your list of criteria for a church is. Actually, the, the list of criteria of the church is, is God drawing you here to grow in Jesus? That's the main point of how you become a part of the many members of a local church, right? Is this a place where you're going to spiritually grow in Jesus? People ask me all the time when they visit, um, how can I find a local church to be a part of? And i just kind of like, you need to find a local church where you feel that you can grow in Jesus alongside those people. Also, don't pick one that teaches heresy. You know, kind of like two main things. You know, like, don't pick one that teaches heresy. That's a good idea, right? Teaches heresy, probably not going to help you grow in Jesus. But if it's going to be helping you grow in Jesus, it's because God is placing you there and composing and arranging the members of the body, each one of them. So, here's what that means in real terms. A church will have people in it that we, you and I, don't understand because they aren't like us, right? They're going to make decisions. They're going to think through things and they're going to process the things that you say and do in ways that you just have absolutely like, did they graduate high school? They're thinking the same things about you, (laughs) you know? The church will have people in it that underappreciate you and me because we assume we're the model of church membership. The church will have people in it that don't actually understand your commitment or the ways in which you do things within the church and you're not going to understand them. The church will have in it people, have people in it that we think are better than us because we aren't gifted like them. The church will have in it people that we think are holier than us or closer to Jesus than us because their lives are put together in a way that ours ours is not. Some of these things are just the realities of what it means to be a part of a local church. It's not, the church is not here to be your self-help program to, like, get your life back, to, back on track. We, just, we want that. We want your life on track. But the point is that, are you here to grow in love in Jesus and whatever that looks like for you? The foot in the church cannot grumble because it carries the weight of the church, and the eye in the church cannot boast because it sees issues more queerly. We need people who have very different vantage points from us, helping us think through, see, and work together in Jesus to grow. I've heard, I don't know if you guys know who D.A. Carson is. D.A. Carson is a New Testament scholar. One of the, like, in the history books, he will go down as probably one of the top 50 scholars of the 20th century. He describes himself as the spleen of the church. The spleen is what takes in the blood and cleans out the red blood cells and puts healthy blood back in. D.A. Carson reads, like, three or four books, like, massive theological books a day, and he just makes all this feel like, I will never amount to anything in terms of, like, understanding my Bibles, right? But his function in the church is actually to help kind of weed out the bad stuff and help us find the good stuff, right? If there are going to be people in the church that are going to be very different from each other, how has God designed you to grow and function and be a part of a, this local church, Right? It, it, the, the reality of this passage, if, the, if verse 18 is true, which I think it is, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. That means that a church cannot be full of all Jacob's. Heaven forbid the church be all pastors. Good grief, that would be horrible. <laughs> right? We need creative people. We need people who do, who think through administrative things. We need people who have a heartbeat that pick up on justice issues that don't that don't register for the rest of us. We need people who just do the grunt work of kind of setting up and tearing down because everybody's got to sit someplace and it might as well be organized, right? We need people who think through and work and live and feel and do things differently than the rest of us because that's what it means to be in a body, right? (laughs) Like the image is not everybody's going to be an eye. Not everybody's going to be a foot. And so that means for us in the culture of our church, we have to work hard to make sure that the people who aren't like us still feel valued and honored. Right? That that's the outlay of this, this passage. I need you and you need me, and we need each other so that we work hard towards making sure that we're honored as a church. So that each person doesn't feel denigrated or under just because you don't do the thing that you want to do or that you think is better, that you're less important. Okay. Be cool? Everybody tracking? Dedicated just going a rant. We're all, we're good. Okay. All right. We're gonna pick up here, we're gonna close out. Verse 21 to 26. God builds a church with spiritual confidence. Verse 21 to 26. The I cannot say to the hand, I do not need you, nor again to the, the head to the feet, I do not need you. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker and indispensable. <clears throat> And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Right? Here is, um, again, pulling back. Remember that healing center dynamic from that we talked about at the beginning of the passage? Remember that the weaker parts were the parts that were put up to say, God, fix this part, or God, thank you for fixing this part. But actually, they were just used as a way of kind of getting in a power play of getting what I want, right? So that the, the worship center was all about me, and really, I just, I'm here to get what I need. But what Paul is basically saying here is that The weaker members, the weaker parts of the body are the most essential part of the body, right? (laughs) Did you pick up on that? He says here, verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weak are indispensable, right? Those weaker parts of the body in the church of Corinth might have been people who didn't pray in tongues, might have been people who didn't prophesy, might have been people who didn't pray for healing and it happened, might have been people who weren't preaching, might have been people who weren't on the worship team. All the people who weren't on the upfront things, the big, the big kind of neon lights things, those were the people that were considered the weaker members of the church. And in fact, Paul is saying, to poke at their pride, to say, those are the very people that are essential. Those are the very people that are required to be a part of the church. Those are the critical people. I think within our culture today, we, the ways in which this works out is we tend to prefer... I'm not going to name names. We tend to prefer ministries to have happy people on the placards and the advertisement, young and youthful people on the advertisements, right? People who are smiling and having a good time, big personalities. And that can influence how we think about the life of the church. Who do we want to be up front? Who do we want to feature? When in fact Paul is saying it is the people that, like Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, That mourn, that are despised, that are broken, that know their need for God, that have a broken heart and maybe walk with a limp, that God loves to be a part of the church. We have here in verse 24, it says, But God so composed the body, He's using if you're in construction. When you mix the cement, when you mix things together, that's the image, right? If you, if you paint, you put different colors together to mix. The weaker people in the church that might frankly annoy you are actually the people that are most essential to the composition that what God's building. You see, you, you can't have a healthy church unless the people who have gifts subject those gifts to the service of the weaker people. That's what's going on in this paragraph. Right. The reason that you're gifted by the spirit is not to make much of you. <laughs> the reason why you're gifted by the spirit is to take your gifts and subject them to other people to come under them, to serve them, to feature them, to highlight them, to help them grow. It might seem crazy at the expense of your own time and energy, and finances and resources, right? The weaker in the church are required to be there. And you can't be a healthy church unless you will take your strengths and gifts and subject them to the weaker and less gifted believers. So not only do we, you could say, that do we, do we need each other, but actually we require each other. My, I, I think that basically the reason God chooses certain guys to be pastors is because those guys are going to be the hardest horses to break. And so you just throw them into the places where it's like, you have to either come under and serve other people or you get out of the game. And I think that the reason I'm a pastor is because God knew my sanctification needs steroids and I needed to come under and serve every person here for your growth in Jesus, not because you guys are a big problems, but because I need you to help me become more like Jesus. So to the extent that you feel I'm coming alongside you and helping you become more like Jesus, I need you to help me become more like Jesus. I require you for my own spiritual growth and health and vitality in the same way you require each other and me, right? It's the people that we perceive as weaker that actually we need to come underneath and serve with our gifts. So for example, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. And what Bonhoeffer is pulling out here is this kind of underlying tone in this passage is that we often want to come to church and just kind of throw up the placards of what we want and need, Get those things scratched and filled, and then walk out. And Paul is saying the very health of what it means to actually believe in true, powerful grace, not cheap grace, is one that a life that requires the cross, where we take our gifts and strengths and we serve other people. As illustration, many of you are familiar with our friends and family up at uh, River of Grace in Concord. They have a Bible study that they do, I believe it's every Wednesday. It's called Good Uplifting Times Bible Study. It's been run by David for a number of years. I think it's kind of being handed over to Brandon. But the Good Uplifting Times Bible Study is a Bible study that is run. um, So we have two folks from there, so they're going to correct me. You can do the mid service, it's fine. Um, That is done for folks in a mental health institute or uh, living situation. And they just, they're like, what are we going to name this? What are we going to name this Bible study? Because we want to grow in Jesus, and they've got mental health needs. Um, or struggles, and like, well, let's just call it Good Uplifting Times Bible Study because it's a good uplifting time to study the Bible. And what they do is that they look at every use of the word good in the Bible. And so not only do they do that Bible study, does somebody lead it, host it, provide food for it, but in terms of helping those folks be at Sunday morning church, it became an issue for them of like getting transportation to and from church. And so the church actually, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I spent about twenty dollars to $30,000 buying a van to be able to effectively and carefully be able to transport people to and from the mental health place to worship on Sunday morning. Not because they needed to buy a new vehicle or because they were looking to spend a lot of money, but because that's what was required to make sure that it was happening safe and healthy and in a context that was helpful for these friends of theirs within the church. So uh, folks with mental health struggles, you know, we're not talking like clinical depression or, or anything like that, we're talking, you know, schizophrenia and those types of struggles being so valued at the budget level of a church where they gave their money to buy a van, get somebody trained, all that stuff so that they can take them to and from church on a Sunday morning. That is a picture of what is going on here. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. River of grace without that community in it is not river of grace. King's cross. What is that dynamic for us? Church culture is not about realizing your best self. You see, verse. all of these verses are kind of leading us to see that there is a spiritual organism, a spiritual reality that happens within the life of the church. We are bound to each other. That's not saying that you can't go to be a part of another church or move someplace and become a part of a healthy local church. We're not, you know, cultish about this, right? (laughs) But it's saying that there is a spiritual life that happens here where verse 26 ends, if one member suffers, all suffer together. We feel the life between us. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So this is the direction of this passage, right? Contrary to a church that we be built around all of our needs. You see, the reason I'm, I'm framing this as God builds a church with spiritual confidence is because every person here, your status is given to you as a member of the church by God himself and not by what you achieve within the church. That gives you a freedom and confidence to engage in the life of the church, to engage in being a part of King's Cross, knowing that you do not have to prove yourself to me or anybody else to be a part of, of the life of the local church. So let me ask a few questions and then we'll, we'll end. How do you know if you're honoring the body of Christ? Do you willingly subject your gifts to serve others without expectation or recognition? Do you get frustrated when you are overlooked? You may not be looking to honor the body of Christ but to build your own status. Are you hesitant to help others that you perceive as, quote, needy? Are you eager to serve and not be seen? Are you okay when your gifts aren't utilized in an area that you think could be run better? We could go down the list, but you get the idea. Because God builds a church, we must work hard to honor one another in Christ because Christ loves to honor and treasure the weakest among us. So let's pray. Father, As we've looked at this passage and we think through, what does it mean to honor you? God, would you help us uh, to wrestle through these dynamics in the life of our local church to better honor Christ together? It's in his name we pray. Amen. With that said, um, any questions related to last week's sermon or this week's sermon? Anything that, and then feel free to text us at Jay as well if you need to do that. Yes, because that would be weird if he didn't. That um, would also be gross. Um, the question was, does Adam have a belly button? Sorry, I've got to gotta restate them for the recording. <laughs> any other questions? We can move on. But Yes? Are there any areas uh, that is thinking about uh, integrating similar to races? races Um, not at the immediate moment. So Jamie's question is, is there any way in which King's Cross is looking to posture towards a, a certain community? Um, not at the immediate moment. I think that, um, we can be growing in how we integrate and work better with the recovery community that we're in right now. So I think that we kind of take the things that are on our front steps. So here, I think that's the way we can be growing. Um, in terms of serving the, the weaker-thans, so to speak, in the church, um, there's a group of us working on how we can better respond to uh, trauma and crisis care, and so that's just kind of a subset of folks as well. So, any, anything you, anybody would add to that or any other questions? Okay, any, no, no other questions? Cool. Thank you. For listening to this message from Kings Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. Kings Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about Kings Cross Church, please visit us at KingsCrossManchester.com.